WDEL On Demand, brought to you by Stanley Steamer. Air duct cleaning. Delaware's clean air experts. Call 1-800-STEAMER. And so many ironies and paradoxes over the story of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The Iranians have to be pleased as punch over the plight of their arch rivals, the Saudis. And the Turks emerge as the source of grisly information about Khashoggi's disappearance that despite Turkish President Erdogan's strangling of a free press over the time that he's been in power in Turkey. Let's go live to Washington. Christian Dev Kalamur, a staff writer for The Atlantic, writing about this. And yes, yeah, so many uh, strange twists to the story beyond the headline. What strikes you the most? Well, the, a couple of things the things you mentioned, primarily uh, Iran's role in all this, which is, you know, usually it's Iran that is the that is the uh, center of focus of international uh, dis- disapproval over its support of terrorist groups, over its malign behavior across the Middle East, over its execution of uh, people within its country, as well as sending hit squads uh, to assassinate uh, political dissidents in other places. Uh, now you have a U.S. ally being accused of doing uh, pretty much the same thing, and the question is, what's the U.S. going to do about it? Uh, and Iran uh, has been noticeably silent uh, in how it's been viewing this. Presumably it's uh, quite delighted. Uh, its foreign minister, uh, Sharif, who's usually quite active on Twitter, has been uh, has been silent by, uh, about these particular allegations. So they're clearly watching what's happening uh, with, uh, uh, you know, with, with a certain amount of delight. Yeah, just kind of stand aside and let this play out. And, well, you know, some people looking at the bigger picture have argued, you know, well, what moral capital do the Saudis have uh, compared to Iran? Iran, after all, does have a functioning parliament. It has some elements of democracy, despite all the negatives that you mentioned. Uh, you know that's a that's a that's a fair question, but I also I also think that it's very hard to uh, uh, and this is not a, this is not disrespect to any but any one country, but it's very hard to pick good guys in that part of the world in in, in that you sure. know Western democracy the way we see it function function here or in Western Europe or maybe Australia and New Zealand it is very very rare. Uh, most places uh, have elections, perhaps, but you know, uh, sure. rules of law don't work. There's massive corruption. There's uh, dissidents are thrown in prison. If you're gay, you're executed. I mean, you know, it's uh, sure they do have. You know, Iran, for instance, does have a parliamentary system. You're absolutely right. But the candidates uh, who can run are pre-selected. Saudi Arabia, of course, is an absolute monarchy. It has even. You know, it, it, it has. They both compete with each other in many ways for who's more restrictive uh, of citizens' rights. So, uh, I mean, Turkey though ends up uh, at least in uh, this episode plus releasing uh, the uh, cleric, uh, the clergyman. Although, uh, why was he incarcerated in the first place? Right. But uh, it, it just seems to be a, a good period for Erdogan uh, just now, despite all his domestic troubles now. It, it really is, and I think, you know, he is badly in need of money because the, the Turkish economy has really uh, taken a nosedive, and this might be uh, one way for him to, uh, if, the, if, if there is a diplomatic solution that all of them can agree on, this might be one way for the Turkish economy to get bolstered by Saudi money eventually. Uh, people I've spoken to have pointed out that uh, while Erdogan is very skeptical of uh, Arab countries in general, he's very, very deferential and respectful of the Saudi monarchy and the Saudi king especially, so he doesn't want to do anything that will overly alienate them. So if you look at the Turkish response, it mostly has come from 
anonymous yeah. senior officials, not really from him or anyone in his cabinet. Well, it's an interesting uh, uh, three-power uh, uh, alignment of, of disparate interests, uh, Iran versus uh, the Saudis versus the Turks. And as you say, it, it's a multidimensional chess match. But let me bring in another one, and I'm surprised more people haven't written about this, because I was thinking other times. I remember when President Reagan uh, tried to sell AWACS to Saudi Arabia, the Israelis objected. And, you know, what do we have now? We've got Netanyahu at some level collaborating with the Saudis because of their common enemy, the Iranians. So arguably, a Saudi and Israeli interests have aligned in a way that would have been unimaginable 20 years ago. But I don't hear a lot of people in the media talking about to what extent Netanyahu's alignment with Trump and the influence of the Israelis and then Jared Kushner uh, has put the uh, Trump administration so very close to the crown prince. I mean, this is a very, very good point. I think and one, one of the, sh- I wouldn't say shortcomings, but one of the challenges the Trump administration's foreign policy is facing that it has actually put all its egg in the Saudi basket. Saudi Arabia, obviously, you know, is one of the very stable places in the Middle East. It, it ensures uh, a, glo- a steady supply of global oil. It's, a, it's, it's the major member of OPEC. It's arguably the most important Muslim country. Uh, and and uh, the Trump administration has really sidled, sided very closely to it, selling it arms. And I think this incident shows the challenges of what you know of what happens when you you put your eggs in one basket and i think uh, this is something that the administration's trying to figure out what to do when it, as, as it goes forward Christian, if you have global context, I'm just curious. I mean, we know it's been hunting season for journalists, not only in some of the most troubled war-torn countries, but even in ostensibly more stable countries, including, regrettably and shockingly, in Europe. I'm just wondering, are you aware of any journalist who has been detained, uh, persecuted, prosecuted, whatever, around the world just in the last couple of weeks where it might be attributable to the, to the notion that the Trump administration is not going to come out strongly against some other regime. I mean, there is, there was the young woman in Bulgaria who was yes. uh, who was brutally murdered. We don't know the circumstances of that, and the State Department has put out a very strong statement about this. And I think uh, that's something you will find in any in all the cases that you've mentioned, including the ones in the European Union. The, the challenge has been that the president himself has been at least publicly quiet about it. We don't know what he's saying. Uh, privately to the leaders of these countries, obviously, but he's been privately quiet about it. And a lot of the press rights groups that I've spoken to suggest that that's part of the reason why many autocratic leaders are quite happy with targeting journalists, because they feel that the U.S. won't step up. Have you had by chance any communications, emails, others with journalistic friends you know around the world asking along the lines what the H is happening in in the United States? No, I think a lot of them are, you know, uh, the world is a very complicated uh, and messy place right now, and I think they're all dealing with their own uh, with their own governments, and I think, uh, you know, they aren't really paying attention as much to uh, U.S. politics and the U.S. media as, you know, we are, obviously. By the way, uh, how big of a global story is Khashoggi? I mean, right now it is obviously dominating U.S. media in a way that it wasn't two weeks ago with the initial disappearance, but uh, just your sense of of how the story is playing in the world. It's certainly huge. I mean, it, there's a lot of, lot of attention in Europe and the UK uh, and the Muslim world, largely because Khashoggi was a very, very widely read journalist. I mean, we know him from the Washington Post, but he's been around for a very, very long time, since the 80s, and uh, he was very, very well-known and very widely read, and because of that, there's a lot of interest in his work and, you know, uh, concern about his fate. 
Well, you know, David Ignatius, I thought, probably had the most wide-ranging column I've seen in the Washington Post about the complicated background of Khashoggi and how once he was right. a player with the Saudi monarchy, not necessarily against it, but also uh, kind of his uh, uh, democratic Islamist past, and right. we'll even interview Osama bin Laden. But as you know, beginning with Donald Trump Jr., there seems to be a movement on the right to uh, just paint him as an Islamist, even a terrorist. I mean, th- there seems to be. I mean, uh, 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 I think uh, th- that certainly has was the early attempt by the Saudis, and I know there's some uh, elements on the right in the U.S. that have tried to do that on Twitter. But I think it's, uh, you know, he, uh, he clearly. Uh, I, I don't know his, well, his politics well enough to say anything about that, but I do know that he's a widely respected columnist, and as you point out, he was at one point not that long ago fairly close to the Saudis, and uh, in fact. After his disappearance and the reports about his fate emerged, the Saudi ambassador to Washington, who is the crown prince's brother, uh, wrote a long note that he posted on the embassy website in which he pointed out that even though uh, Khashoggi was a self, was in self-imposed exile in the U.S., they regularly met and he considers, considered him as a friend. So if he were, were in fact a supporter of radical Islamic groups, you know, the Saudi ambassador to Washington would not have probably been meeting him on a regular One more thing, I'm just kind of curious, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, who's known uh, colloquially as MBS, does this undermine him? Do you think this could expose him to some kind of a power play by elements of the royal family who don't like his rising star? I mean, it's it's certainly possible. One of the larger pro, uh, one of the larger challenges of predicting anything about Saudi Arabia is it's a very opaque system. Uh, in the past, when we've had any dissent, uh, it's been kept under wraps. I mean, after the Khashoggi case, it emerged that they've been kidnapping Saudi princes from Europe as far back as 2015. So they just kept these things under wraps. The fact that this is playing out in public shows that we might, as you point out, have. Uh, uh, you know, see more of uh, more disapproval coming out publicly. All right, pleasure. I'm glad we had enough time to go over some of these other interesting side angles. Uh, always enjoy talking to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Uh, Krishna Dev uh, Kalamar, a staff writer of The Atlantic, covering global issues live here on WDEA.